Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, as always, every time we show up on the station, I'm asking you, please give me about 30 minutes of your time, 30 minutes for motivation, inspiration, education, and we will do that without any manipulation. We're not going to play games. We're not going to con you. We're not going to solicit any money from you. We're just going to offer you accurate information, not any human speculation, but accurate information based on the Word of God. The scriptures, the inerrant scriptures, the Word of God, that's what this show's about. It's a show about the Bible. It's different, not any ranting, no raving, no jumping up and down, but we're going to give you information. And if you can respond to that information, then you will be able to verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you want to orient and adjust to that plan, well, then that's up to you. But we've been on the radio now over 10 years and many stations across the country, and it's a great honor to speak to you every Sunday morning, wherever you may be, from California to New York. What an honor. You'll notice we don't solicit money. We don't sell things. We always believe if God's in it, he will pay for it. And it's a wonderful way to trust the Lord and live day by day by faith. And I can promise you he's never, <clears throat> never failed me, not one time. He is always faithful to provide all of our needs. <clears throat> My desire is to accurately represent the Lord Jesus Christ to you and represent him effectively to you. And so I thank you for listening. I thank you for being part of the show. If you ever have any questions, you can feel free to contact me. I would like to say this. Our website has had some problems because our web designer, Mel Cooper, was promoted to be with the Lord. He went to be face-to-face -face with the Lord rather unexpectedly. And uh, he didn't call us and tell us he was going to pass away. He just passed away. And so the end result was that left us in a little bit of a lurch as we tried to get our radio shows back up to speed on the website. We've now been able to secure the website and make some changes. And hopefully, if you're interested in listening to any of the past radio shows, you'll be able to bring them up on the website, as always, normally they have been. Sometimes people tell me, uh, and it drives me nuts sometimes, they say, are you near an airport? I am not near an airport. I'm near a main major highway, and sometimes when I'm speaking to you, you may hear a loud hum or a loud noise in the background. That's usually some big commercial truck roaring down the highway. And uh, the room that I broadcast these shows from and record them is not as good a soundproof room as I'd like for it to be, so... We have to live with that sometimes, so please excuse that if you hear that. But in regards to Mel Cooper, we thank him for all the years of service he provided for us, and it's my prayer you'll continue to visit our website, pick up the radio shows, any books you need, order them, any DVDs you need, order them. It's all available free of charge. Today we want to talk to you about arrogance. Arrogance, the number one enemy of most Christians, arrogance. If you're going to understand arrogance, you have to understand the protocol plan of God and how it works and how it functions. God has a plan, and if you're going to live in that plan, you must follow protocol. So here's a thought I would like to give you. God gave you two ends. That's right. Look in the mirror. There's two ends, one to think with, one to sit with. 
Here's the little funny that goes with that. It's heads you win and tails you lose. You have to live by the heads part, not the tails part. You have to learn to think, and that's what's critical. Arrogance starts with not thinking. Where does it all start? If, a, if you want to go all the way back, if you think about the most arrogant person you know, if you go all the way back, here's where it starts. And fortunately, some people are able to override these circumstances by positive volition to God's word, but it starts in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Here we have a mandate in the original Greek manuscript called a present active imperative of hupakuo, H-U-P-A-K-O-U-O, hupakuo. And it says children, technon, the Greek word technon, obey hupakuo, present active imperative, your parents in the Lord for this is right. So the first mandate that a child runs up upon is this word, obey your parents. The active voice says the subject produces the action of the verb, and thus that's the child. The present tense is the durative, and there is a time when they're not supposed to obey their parents as long as they live under their roof. They are to obey their parents. And the imperative mood is the mood of command. This is not a request from God. This is a command from God. So write this down. If a child disobeys their parental authority, they've sinned. Because here is a mandate, obey your parents. Disobedience to parents is a sin. Get that right. And then it says, in the Lord. And that's a prepositional phrase showing you where the source of the Christian comes from. There is the power under the filling of the Holy Spirit to obey your parents even if they may be wrong. Now, let me clarify that. The Bible is not telling you to do something unlawful. If your parents uh, command you to do something unlawful, then that's not correct. You do not have to obey that command. But if your parents are wrong, and sometimes parents are wrong, we have parents have old sin natures just like everyone else, and parents make mistakes. And uh, if your parents make a decision that's not fair, should you disobey them then? And the answer is no. You have to learn how to handle unfair authority. If you have a brother or a sister or some other you know, sibling you're living with, the decisions have to be made as parents that are not always correct. Parents are human. They make mistakes. So if you get mad and if you rebel against your parents because they made a mistake, then you're at the beginning stages of arrogance. So what you have to learn as a young person is to handle authority, whether it's fair or whether it's unfair, and trust the justice of God to take up the slack. He always does. He always handles that. We must learn not to rebel against the authority of our parents. Even when they make mistakes, even when they ask you to do something that's not fair, you do it anyhow. If you don't like that, join the military and find out what they do there. They'll ask you to do a lot of things that are not fair. And uh, if you don't learn to do them, then you'll quickly be in trouble. Life is like this. And the only way you can be a well-adjusted person in life and business as a family or as a parent yourself is to learn how to handle unfair authority. Verse 2 says, children honor, and the Greek verb there is tamao, T-I-M-A-O, tamao, honor or value 
your father and your mother. Now notice right away, the first verse used the word parents. The second verse uses the word father and mother. Now they're still your parents, but it is possible, and I'm assuming here, I don't know that Paul intended for this to be this, but that I'm going to throw this in for you. Parents get divorced. And when parents get divorced, if one parent tries to convince the child that the other parent is a tyrant, then that's a form of child abuse. God does not authorize any parent to run down the other parent. And so if parents get a divorce, you are still to honor or value your father and your mother, even though you may be living with one or the other, and you might not be under the authority of one or the other. You may change roofs. You may change whose roof you live under. A child is still to honor both parents, to value both parents, to revere both parents. Why? Because the Bible says in verse 2, this is the first mandate with a promise. And the promise is that you will live a very long and fruitful and wonderful life if you orient to authority. If you do not orient to authority, if you disobey the word hupakuo, you don't obey the authority of your parents, and you disobey tamao, you don't honor your parents, then you're setting yourself up for an early death because of your own arrogance. You know, there's a television show, I think I've seen it a few times, called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? But here's the question. I often ask teenagers, are you smarter than your parents? And of course, they all think they are. But Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says, obey and honor. And Ephesians 6, 3 says, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Here's the principle. A well-adjusted person stands a chance of living a full, meaningful, wonderful life. A maladjusted person, a person that can't handle authority, stands a chance of self-destructing in their life. And so arrogance is an enemy of all believers. It is the very sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Arrogance can be demonstrated in the Bible in Luke 15, 25, through the prodigal son and his older brother. You may remember the prodigal son went off to waste his subsidence on riotous living, but he came home. He asked his father to forgive him, and his father restored him full membership of the family. But the older son was all upset about it. So listen to verse 25 of Luke 15. The older son was in the field when the younger son came home. And as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he figured out there's something going on in there. He didn't know what. Here's a principle about arrogance. Arrogance has an exaggerated opinion of one's own importance, one's own merit, one's own ability. And so in his eyes, he was the most important of the two children. So he comes near the house, he hears music and dancing, and in Luke 15, 28, he was angry. He would not go in. And his father came out and his father pleaded with him. Here's what happened. He called one of the servants and he said, what's going on? What's, what's happening in the house? Why, why is there a party? And he said, well, your brother came home. Your father received him safe and sound. And, and your father killed a fatted calf to have a party. And what did the Bible say? He was angry. He would not go in. 
So his father came out to talk to him and say something to him. In Luke 15, 29, here is what he told his father. He said to his father, all these years I served you. I never transgressed any of your commandments at any time. But you never even gave me a billy goat so I could have a party with my friends. This is Mr. Self-Pity. Mr. Feel Sorry for Yourself. This is one of the traits of arrogance. If you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself, if you find yourself having a little pity party because you were treated unfairly, you are getting arrogant. You're forgetting that the justice of God is always on the job. He's always overseeing what's going on. He hasn't forgotten about you. Sometimes we go through tests to train us, to teach us. And when you get full of self-pity, you are sinning. As soon as this son of yours came home, Luke 15, 30, the one that devoured his money with those harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. Now, how would he know what this other brother did? How does he know he wasted his money with harlots? Could it possibly mean that he knew where he was all along and he never told the father? Have you ever wondered why the father never went looking for him? I mean, as a father, it's a wonderful thing to pray. But to try to go and drag that boy back home would have been a waste of time. See, that boy was like a lot of sons. He had to learn the hard way. That's called enforced humility. If you don't have genuine humility in your life, then you're, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're going to go through enforced humility. God will discipline you and God will take you down a notch or two with an attitude adjustment until you have genuine humility. It comes through enforced humility. And this older brother knew where his brother, his younger brother was. He knew what was going on. And he was probably glad he was gone. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.3, whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. But the companion of a harlot wastes his wealth. Now, that's no doubt what the younger son did. He blew everything he inherited from his father with harlots. But he recovered. None of us are perfect. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have trends. And what you have in this story is a trend towards lasciviousness with the younger son. And you have a trend towards asceticism with the older son. The older son was a self-righteous legalist. The younger son, well, he was just a lascivious. I mean, if you want to define him, you find him at the prostitute's house. The older son, if you want to find him, you find him looking in the mirror saying, what a wonderful person I am. So the dad said to him, son, this is the older one, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. I've already given it to you. He divided his inheritance with the boys already. It was right. It was the right thing to do, that we should be happy and be glad because your brother who was dead is alive and the one that was lost is now found. When you get out of fellowship with God, you're not spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead before you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then when you believe in Christ, you're made spiritually alive with a second birthday, you're born again. When you're out of fellowship with God, you're in temporal death temporal death in time. You're out of fellowship, under control of your sin nature. The Holy Spirit has been quenched and grieved. You're on the my way highway, as this 
young man did, and through your own arrogance, you're on the way to self-destruction. And there's only one way out of it. Either you respond to the discipline that God gives you and come to a humility profile, or you react to the discipline that God gives you and you continue in your arrogance until you destroy yourself. This older son had all the money. What he wanted was all the attention. The enemy that he had in his soul may be the enemy you have in your soul, bitterness. He was bitter at his younger, his younger brother, bitter about that because he took attention away from him. Look what I've been doing. Look, I've been the faithful one. I've always done what you told me to do. And now Mr. Unfaithful Son comes home broke with no money, wasted everything you gave him, and you're giving him a party. I'm quoting now what the older son might have said. This arrogance always comes in three stages. The first stage is self-justification. So the older son justified why he should have had the party, not the younger son. The second stage is self-deception. The older brother deceived himself into thinking that he was the better of the two because he stayed home. And the third stage of arrogance is self-absorption. Self-absorption is identified by self-pity. He was having a pity party, and he was mad and bitter and angry at his dad, at his brother, at the world, because all that he had done was not recognized, he thought. The final result is self-destruction. Self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption, self-destruction. There are several ways that I can describe arrogance to you. I could say that it's vanity. Vanity is when you have self-admiration. You have excessive desire to be admired by other people. You uh, love attention. You have that arrogance that, that desires attention. You live off of that. You feed off of that. That's the vanity. That's like the old lady that puts the flowers in the church every Sunday morning just so she can hear the preacher call her name and tell her what a wonderful person she is. That's that arrogance that desires to be noticed and desires to have attention. And then there's pride. Now this is not, some people mix up pride with a personality. Some people have a very strong personality very forthright, but they're not pride. Pride is when you assume that you're superior to other people. And this young older brother assumed he was superior to his younger brother because of the things that he had done. If you get full of assumptions of superiority in your life, you are in arrogance. Vanity, you admire yourself excessively, and you have the... the uh, the lust to be admired by other people. You assume that you're superior to other people. This happens sometimes because of wealth, because of finances. Sometimes it's bad in churches because you have the blue-collar people in churches and you have the wealthy people. You have the plumber over here and you have the attorney over here. And maybe the attorney thinks he's better than the plumber because he makes more money. Neither one is better than the other. And this assumption of superiority because of education, because of finances, 
because a pedigree is a wrong assumption and it's nothing but pride and it's a sin it's a sin of arrogance arrogance can also be called conceit it's where you have an exaggerated estimate of your abilities in other words you look in the mirror and you see something that's not there you think you're something you're not if you have an unrealistic self-image then obviously you're going to have unrealistic expectations also conceit vanity pride and arrogance can be excessive egotism excessive preoccupation with yourself how many times did you mention self in that last conversation using the personal word I, I this, I that, I this, I that. If it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, me and I. Excessive preoccupation with self. You got to learn something. God was in business before you got here and God will be in business when you're gone. It doesn't all depend on you. And to the extent that you think everything depends on you and you're excessively preoccupied with yourself, then that's all you're going to talk about. What you did, what you did, what you did. Look at me. Look what I did. You're conceited. You think your ability was better than anyone else's ability. And your pride, you're full of assumption of your superiority. Does this sound like any politicians you may know? Sort of does to me. You know, arrogance is highly contagious. It's the only disease known to mankind which makes everybody sick except the person that has it. I hope that you're not an arrogance carrier. I hope you're not making people sick that come around you because of your arrogance. Proverbs 29:23 says a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Humility is the opposite of arrogance. Humility is what the Bible tells you is the profile you should have. In Philippians 2.5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. Humility is absolutely critical in the believer's life. That doesn't mean weakness. That's not what it means. It means that you assume the role of a servant. Paul called himself a servant on many occasions. Our Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, identified as a servant. Even when he washed the feet of the disciples, Peter was blown away that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would want to wash his feet. And he was teaching him a lesson in humility. You see, the arrogant person rejects authority, divorces from reality, and gets distracted from his Christian growth. He's not ever going to grow because he's not listening to God. And you want to know what the worst type of arrogance in the world is. I mean, there are some people that I don't like to be around. I don't like to be around arrogant people. I cannot stand to be around religious arrogant people. Religious arrogant people are the ones who crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. They are the ones that think they're doing God a favor by showing up on Sunday. I want you to make a note of this thought. Organized religion is not Christianity. Organized religion thrives on artificial intelligence, which is a combination of arrogance plus ignorance. AI, arrogance and ignorance equals artificial intelligence. 
That is not Christianity. Christianity is a personal relationship with the God of this universe living in you, Jesus Christ. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, you see religious arrogance. Jesus gave a parable about certain ones which trusted in themselves. He talked about two men going up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican, and the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself and said, Thank you, God, I'm not like other men. I don't I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer, like that publican over there. I fast twice every week. I give a tithe of all that I possess. And then Jesus said, The publican standing afar off would not lift up his eyes to the heaven, but beat upon his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I'll tell you, this is the man that went down to his house justified, not the other. For everyone that exalts himself will be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. It's critical that you remember that. In 1 John 1, 8, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all have sin, mental attitude sins, sins of the tongue, overt sins, and the solution to that is 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. The aorist passive imperative of tapino o. The passive voice says the subject receives the action of the verb. and That means that God the Holy Spirit does it for you. If you're filled with the Spirit, you can fulfill this mandate of having a humility profile. Lower the assessment of yourself. Realize God was in business before you got here. Your job is to grow and represent Jesus Christ. Not strut around like you are Christ, but to represent his image of humility and faithfulness. That's the chore you have in front of you. You got to remember that. I pray you're listening. I pray you're, you're paying attention. I pray this is challenging to you and encouraging to you. That's why we do these radio shows. And as always, if you should ever have a question, you can feel free to email me simply rick at rickhughesministries.org. Rick at rickhughesministries.org. Or you can drop us a note in the mail, simply post office box 100 in the city of Cropwell, Alabama. P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you so much for giving me a few moments of your time this morning. I pray this lesson has been a challenge to you. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.